Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of the Moncast. Today, I'm joined by the one and only Jeff Nimoy. How are you, Stevie? I'm good. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks, man. It's a beautiful day here in Los Angeles. One in the afternoon, sun is shining. You can't beat it. It's like 9pm here, so it's already dark. Well, you can't go anywhere because there's a pandemic, but, you know, it's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and just so you know, Jeff, my pronouns are they, them, or she and her. Okay. You can tell me your pronouns as well, if you like. I'm he, all the way. He, all the way. I've been uh, heterosexual since I heard Donna Summer sing on the radio when I was 12 years old. That did it for me. I'm not going to get into it, but like gender and sexuality are different things. Um, but I'm not going to teach you about that now. <laughs> well, let's say I knew I was a he at that moment. Yeah. <laughs> so, Jeff, please could you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do? I'm Jeff Nimoy. I'm a voice director, voice actor, producer, film director, film actor, film producer. I've done a lot of stuff, but mostly, I'm mostly known for Digimon, where I was the showrunner for three of the seasons and just a big part of the whole franchise. And I played quite a few characters, including Tentoman, Tentoman, Digivolve 2, Kabuterimon. Are you, are you, are you, are you freaking out right now? I'm screaming on the inside, Jeff. <laughs> I could hear that silent scream. I could hear that big pause told me everything I needed to know. How about Trigun? I, I, I'm also uh, the voice of Wolfwood in Trigun. Are you a fan? I did watch it, but it's been a few years. Yeah. Um, I did watch it all the way through, though, and I remember really enjoying it. Um, I watched the dub because I'm too lazy to read. Um, <laughs> That's basically it. It was during my like teenage hardcore anime phase where I watched nothing but anime. Well, that's the other thing I'm famous for, I would say. Famish for, as my movie says. Yes, we will get onto the, uh, your film. I did watch it once all the way through with only one break to get a sandwich. So <laughs> That's great. <laughs> but yeah, we'll get to that like later on. Okay. I've got like a page and a bit of questions here. So we've got plenty to talk about. As I say in my panels at anime conventions, you know, rather than me talking and, you know, giving a big intro, let's just start with the questions and it'll all come out sooner or later. So, you know what? The Moncast is supposed to be Digimon and Pokemon. Uh-oh. So I'm going to get the obligatory one Pokemon question out of the way, and then we can get on to Digimon. Better be a good one, because I used to fine people a dollar if they said the P-word recording of Digimon, so... Really? I see. But yeah, just to get Pokemon out of the way, what is your favorite Pokemon? Oh, I, you know, I really don't have one. I have to admit, I, if you cut me, I believe Digimon. I don't know what color Digimon is, but, uh, you know, I'm Digimon all the way. The only time I ever had any interaction with Pokemon, I would say two things. One, the Digimon, Digimon the movie was the trailer for that was attached to the first Pokemon movie or the second Pokemon movie? I think the second Pokemon movie. And uh, so when the trailer was out in theaters, I uh, I went one day and uh, and saw, you know, I paid for the Pokemon movie just to see the Digimon trailer and I left right after the Digimon trailer. And, and the other thing was uh, I was very friendly with, uh, boy, I don't know her stage name. Her real name is uh, different. Is it Veronica Taylor? It is. That's not her real name. <laughs> Yeah, it's her stage name. But Veronica and I got very friendly at a con one year, and then she moved to Los Angeles. And when she first got here, we we were quite friendly, but we've lost touch. But we're still, you know. Yeah, like she's in that that pool of contact right. that you've got. Exactly, exactly. So other than that, Pokemon really does not affect my life, except uh, like I said, we would find people during the recording of Digimon a dollar. At the end, we had a little party. Got to say that doesn't surprise me at all, because like. Even I slip up. I've been podcasting about both. Well, I was a, I was also in a ratings war with them in the late 90s, early 2000s, so it's not like uh, we were best friends. It's like, they've got their fan base, we've got ours, and then I'm just like, why do I just try and do both anyway? Well, a lot of people do. A lot of people cross over and, you know, it's fine. There's, there's something for everybody out there. Yeah, it's our like, unique selling point is we do Digimon and a bit of Pokemon as well. We try and treat them fairly, but... Usually Digimon wins anyway. <laughs> well, today it will definitely win. It will be not even contested today. So we've covered Digimon Adventure and Digimon Adventure Zero 2. 
Uh, so we've got like the final results for Digimon versus Pokemon already for those two series. <laughs> Digimon came out on top series one. Woohoo! Um, I think it won like 28, 24 or something like that. Oh, it was close. Too close for me. Yeah. It was close, but Digimon just came through at the end. Mm-hmm. But with Digimon Adventure Zero 2, it did actually tie with Pokemon. Well, if you count only the legal votes, Digimon won in a landslide, okay? Believe me. Yeah, so overall, Digimon's winning. <laughs> That's a little American joke. Sorry, that's doing RX. I thought it sounded like Trump. So yeah, you do well with your track record for Digimon. We've not got up to the third one you've done yet, um, which is, is it Savus? I worked on Digimon Data Squad after, after season two. I took a break. I left for two seasons and then came back to do Digimon Data Squad. Yes. Sorry, Savers and Data Squad are the same thing. It's just because they got localized. <laughs> but also, uh, before that, there was Revenge of Diaboramon. That was actually the return to Digimon for me. There were all these spin-off movies that, you know, that came around around 2005, 2006. Okay, so it was Revenge of Diaboramon. Was that like one thing you did? And then there was a few years before Data Squad started. No, it started pretty much right after that, yeah. Not at, right, not at the same time. It started, you know, within a year. And I actually, you know, I took, I, took the, uh, I took the job of Digimon Data Squad because I missed Digimon, and I really just did not want anyone else to work on Digimon. I didn't want them to give it to someone else. And I left Naruto, which I was directing at the time, and I left to do Digimon Data Squad. It was one of the worst business decisions I ever made in my life because Digimon Data Squad lasted 50 episodes and Naruto, I think, is still going on. Or It lasted about 11 seasons and then spun off to other things. So I could have been rich! Just Naruto never ends. Whereas Digimon's like, okay, 50 episodes, then we start from scratch. Naruto's That's just right. like, let's just keep new going. New plot, new characters, new plot, everything, right. I imagine that must be like one of the exciting things, like, well, the questions we've got here is, what were the biggest changes between the first and second seasons of Digimon Adventure? Well, the cast was a big thing. I mean, we were kind of shocked that they would take such a chance on such a popular series and pretty much throw away all the characters and start from scratch. So that was the big thing. Also, when we cast the second season, we also cast the movie at the same time because we were working on both season two, O2, and uh, the movie simultaneously. So it was a lot of work while I was doing the movie at the same time. You know, imagine you're doing a full-time series and a full-time movie. So uh, I was working about 20 hours a day every day, and uh, I was exhausted when it was over. And like the film's famous for being a bit of just a mashup of actually multiple films. They made three movies in Japan, and uh, they told me and my partner at the time, Bob Buckholz, we needed to make it into one coherent movie. And that was very difficult as well. Only because of the third part, actually. The first two parts, I thought, blended very nicely together. But then, again, you introduce eight new characters with 20 minutes to go into the movie. It can get a little confusing. But that's a battle I lost. I wrote a whole blog about it, very long blog. It's the 20th anniversary. So uh, I wrote a very long blog of uh, all my memories of it. And uh, I go into that decision in depth in the blog i don't want to go into it now because it's a very long story but it was a battle i'll tell you it was a battle on to keep that third part or not and uh i lost that fight obviously but i tried to do the best i could yeah and it's still an enjoyable film i will go back and watch it and (laughs) even now i still think its soundtrack is like just outstanding they did a great job with licensing that music but i was so exhausted after you know, season two and the movie was over. That's why I left Digimon. It was just too much work at that point and I was burnt out. I didn't want to work in anime anymore. I just wanted to do something different at that point. Well, with Digimon, you were doing multiple roles essentially, weren't you? Because you were directing, writing, voice acting, voice directing. Yeah, the voice acting part didn't take much time at all. But uh, the, uh, the writing and directing obviously took the most time. And the movie as well. So I was just just burnt out. And I, I don't think I came back to anime until I started writing on Sunny Pig around 2002, maybe. And then I really went into it with Zatch Bell. I was the showrunner of that as well. Wrote most episodes, directed all of them. I mean, every career has like its twists and turns. Mine's just getting started. Like I'm only recently getting into radio. Uh-huh. 
so I'm learning about making a pool of contacts and stuff like that. Well, you got a good voice for it. Thank you. <laughs> I've completely lost track of my questions because I'm about to go over the place. <laughs> well, the last question you asked before I rambled on was uh, the differences between season one and season two. And honestly, like, I guess coming back to, to Data Squad a few years later, yeah, that would have been a completely... Like, would it have been a completely different cast and crew who was still there? Well, Digimon Data Squad was my favorite of, all, of them all to work on because I pretty much had carte blanche to do what I wanted. I could cast who I wanted. And I even reached out to the fans for a lot of casting suggestions. It was just a great cast. Uh, th there were new characters, of course, but there was also like Agumon, was back, but I just didn't think this Agumon had the same personality as the original Agumon. So I cast someone else. And that was hard because one of my best friends is Tom Fawn, who played Agumon. And I had to tell him, uh, sorry, you're out. <laughs> <laughs> and I cast Brian Beacock instead. But I just had a vision for Day Digimon Data Squad. Here's the other thing. When I was working on seasons one and two, we didn't get the whole ser series right, right off the bat. We only got about a month at a time. So we couldn't really prepare that often. And we couldn't like really set something up that was going to pay off in eight weeks because we, we didn't know what was coming in eight weeks. But Digimon Data Squad, the entire series was done already before I got my hands on it. So I had a really good pre-production time to plan and plot and lay little Easter eggs at the beginning that would pay off later on at the end, you know, things like that. So that was the biggest difference. And uh, and I just love the cast I had and uh, they left me alone. Whereas on Digimon, the original first two series, it was such a monster hit because it was on Fox Kids, which uh, they were in so many households. And, you know, when a show is that big, you have a lot of hands in the a lot of cooks in the kitchen, you know, and they're all want their, they all want to put their stamp on it. They all want to take credit for the success. And there's just a lot of interference from all sides. Whereas Digimon Data Squad was on a, a Disney cable channel. XD maybe? DigiX? Digi Disney, uh, Disney XD, XD sounds right. Yeah. So it was not in as many households and Disney just kind of trusted me, you know? In fact, before we, we, meaning Studiopolis, which is the production company that did it, the head of Studiopolis, Jamie Simone, who I worked with over at Fox Kids, said to me, uh, hey, you're the Digimon guy, right? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I'm the Digimon guy. And he said, good, because I just told Digi Disney when I bid on, the, on Digimon, I have the Digimon guy. So I said, yeah, good, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Jamie didn't know Digimon either. So I just... They just trusted me to know Digimon, and I really got to do it my way, you know, exactly my way, sort of. It was just all the cast I wanted, all the storylines I wanted. I had to get some approval for the major roles from uh, toy animation. Anytime I said uh, I really wanted this one, they said, we're Jeffrey Son, we're not going to uh, fight you on this. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that answered a bunch of my questions already. <laughs> I know it, when you've interviewed other Digimon actors, they, they just don't have the wealth of information of the behind the scenes that I have because, you know, actors show up, they do two, two hours and leave. I've got all the stories. So you're saying like this might as well be the last episode of this series and it's just like, there's no point, it doesn't get any better than this. When I, when I do a Digimon panel, like I did one in Dragon Con with Colleen O'Shaughnessy, who played Sora and Josie and uh, Joshua Seth, who played Ty, uh, Tara Sands, who was in Tri, the Tri-Series. Whenever there was a question about, you know, any kind of backstage Digimon or Digimon origin question, every head on the panel turns to me to answer it. So I answer a, a disproportionate amount of questions when we do combination Digimon panels. Yeah, because you've got your fingers in all the pies. Yeah, I'm the only one who knows the answer to some of those questions. Yeah. You sound a lot like me, actually, with my own podcast. Like, behind the scenes, I do pretty much everything. Mm -hmm. So if anyone, like, asks for anything that's not just I'm recording on the podcast, they have to come to me. Well, it's the perfect, it's the perfect job for a control freak. Yeah, it's also an, an awful job for a stress head. <laughs> I'm quite laid back, fortunately. Luckily, I enjoy producing and directing because it's so crazy. It's such a mad, maddening scene where you're juggling 2,000 things at once and uh, 
I can stay calm under those circumstances. It wasn't always that way, but sometimes actors actually don't understand that. They think it's all about them. Mark Hamill talks about this perfectly on Star Wars. He, he's only worried about his performance. And then he goes to the director and the director's worried about 2000 things. And Mark Hamill's one of the last things they're looking at because they trust Mark Hamill to be Mark Hamill, you know? So uh, it's the same with Digimon or anything I'm directing. I'm listening to the music, I'm listening to the sound effects, I'm, you know, I'm interested in the story and uh, I'm trusting that the actor is going to do their job too. Yeah, and this is why producers and basically the people in charge are so important to just make sure everything happens. Right, exactly. With that, I wanted to ask, just in case you aren't aware, Digimon Adventures currently got a reboot airing. Oh yeah? I did not know that. Didn't know that. Well, I get to break the news to you then. Digimon Adventure colon, as the fans are calling it, because it just has a colon at the end of it. Yeah. It's been airing for about 20-something weeks now. Is it the same characters, the same timeline, but just new stories? Pretty much. So they've brought back everyone from the original adventure series. So Ty, Matt, Sora, Izzy. I'm sure you know all the names. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need to list them all for you. <laughs> We'd be here all day anyway. But yeah, it's bringing back that original cast with this new series in 2020 and like changing a few things. How's the animation look? Um, it's up and down. Sometimes it looks great. Sometimes it's not as great. And um, whether that's because of, you know, coronavirus and stuff interfering with how much time they have um, for each episode, I don't know. The animation's pretty great, especially in like the opening arc, of course, where it's super important to make a good impression. Yeah. There's quite a few big differences. You'll remember Omnimon. Omnimon, of course, yeah. It's a combination of two different Digimon. Yeah, of course. Only appears originally after like two full seasons have passed and there's a film. In this new reboot, Omnimon appears in episode three. <laughs> <laughs> well, they might as well bring the most powerful one out right away. It's like using your queen in chess, I guess, you know, bring it out. Yeah, but then they bring it straight back down to rookie level. <laughs> so it's a bit crazy this new series most we have no idea what's going right, on because basically. after three episodes in the original they didn't even know they could digivolve into those kind of i don't think they were sure they could leave the rookie level at that point no by episode three they'd already had greymon and karurumon oh wow i know the first batch of episodes too well just because those are the ones i had on vhs back in the early 2000s so those are the ones i watched on loop but Anyway, yeah, this new series is out. It's going on for like 60 episodes or something daft. Mm -hmm. So it's quite long for a Digimon series. So with Digimon getting a reboot this year, I just wanted to ask... Obviously I'm not offering because I don't have that power. <laughs> I, wish, I wish you did. Imagine if I did, that'd be great. Would you like take a chance to direct or write an English dub of this new rebooted series? Well, like I said, after five years of no Digimon, which was seven years for me because I uh, left after season two, I missed it, you know? And uh, I just did not want anyone else to work on Digimon when it came back. It, I just felt a, a fatherly, you know, uh, feeling towards it, you know? So I, uh, I left a very successful show, Naruto, and went to a very unsuccessful show, Digimon Dana Squad, just because of my love for Digimon. So after that, my answer was always, if asked to, uh, be a part of Digimon. I will serve. And uh, just recently, uh, when Digimon Adventure Last Evolution Kazuna came out, they offered me the script to write, to adapt into English. It was uh, a real thrill to write that again. And, uh, you know, I tried to give the fans a classic Digimon experience with that one. But if they asked me to direct it, I certainly would have, you know. I also returned to do some voices. I, re I returned to do voices and try. And uh, if, if this new Digimon reboot happens in English, in America, and they asked me, I would drop everything to do it. In any capacity they wanted me to do, and all capacities. If they wanted me to do it all, I'd do it all. If they wanted me just to voice, I'd just voice, you know? So Digimon will be on my tombstone one day, hopefully a very long time from now. <laughs> and uh, if anyone wants me to be a part of Digimon in the future, I'll certainly join the, the, the team or run the team whatever they want or both or be a one-man show i'll do every voice at this point <laughs> i'll show you do a great job as well <laughs> thanks i appreciate that so yeah i'm sure you'd feel the same way about resuming the role of tentamon if it got english dub as well well tentamon's been played by other people too so you never know they might replace me i don't know 
But yeah, I, I would love to play Tantamon. I wrote him all the comedy lines, you know, because <laughs> <laughs> why not? And uh, I love the little red fella. It was the same thing with Laura Summer, where you sort of get a connection with the Digimon you're voicing. Mm -hmm. So, like, when I asked Laura if you could voice any other Digimon, who would you voice? She's just like, no, I just wouldn't voice anyone else. Palmon is mine. <laughs> I don't need another character to voice. How do you feel about Tentamon, though? Would you like to voice a different Digimon? Well, as long as I was also playing Tentamon, yes, I'd like to voice <laughs> additional Digimon is really the, the way I should answer that. Uh, but I actually auditioned for Davis and did not, not Davis, I'm sorry, Matt, and I did not get the Matt role. So nice to be to play a human, but I was very happy in Try when Young Jedi came back with such a an evil character to play, you know, it was great playing a bad guy. Uh, so that was very nice. So, but yeah, I would love to play uh, some kind of meaty human role, you know? Tentamon's enough of the Digimon right now for me. I've just got to bring it up at some point. On your IMDb page, it does say that you voiced truck driver number one in Digimon the movie as well. <laughs> yeah. It's just funny seeing little bit roles like that. It's funny, when the credits came out like that, I did not think they were going to list every credit, every little line in the movie that I did, because Bob Buckles and I did like 20 roles or something, just little one-liners here and there, you know? Truck Driver 1 and 2 were Bob and myself, <laughs> and we were driving late at night, and we were like, uh, did you see that giant Digimon? He goes, I thought you were driving. <laughs> no, I was asleep. He goes, you're driving! That sort of thing, right? That's what it was. Uh, I can remember the exact clip now as well, but yeah, now that you say the lines. That's probably a good point to go into Famish, because that reminds me of the bit in Famish where you're like talking with Lex Lang and he's right. remembering lines from years and years ago. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh, our voice actors actually like that, where they remember scripts from... That was, I put that in the movie, that's an actual conversation Lex Lang and I had one day, and that's why I put that in the movie. Lex, Lex was, in fact, the first uh, actor I ever hired when I had an opportunity to hire. I was doing a pilot for Fox Kids, the uh, first show I ever created. I wanted a Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Rita Acosta Magicot was the producer of this particular show. She introduced me to Lex and I hired him. And, uh, you know, we, we put it in the movie, pretty much. Let me st set the scene for your audience a little bit. <laughs> We're backstage at an anime convention. Famish is about, uh, you know, sort of this washed up voice director who goes to a, an anime convention for the money and, uh, you know, sort of rediscovers his fame and his sort of purpose in life. But he meets Lex Lang backstage and my character hasn't worked in forever, and he sees Lex, and he says, you know, you're the first voice actor I ever uh, hired. And he goes, what? Was that that Arnold Schwarzenegger thing? So then I just threw him in different things for Arnold Schwarzenegger to be. In the in the actual show, it was called Chimp Lips Theater. He was uh, Gulliver. It was a takeoff on Gulliver's Travels, and we had him as Arnold Schwarzenegger. But in, this, in the movie, Famous, I said, yeah, it was Arnold Schwarzenegger as a... Uh, short order cook and he did a little bit no that's not barbecue sauce's blood come on and uh and then in the next take i said yeah it's arnold schwarzenegger as a um, three ring circus master he said yes this next act is wonderful it's, it's a poodle that dances it's fantastic <laughs> and we just did that take after take <laughs> lex is such a talented guy lex has music in the movie too and uh Lex uh, also helped me quite a bit with the, the script. Uh, he, when he read the script when I offered him the role, he said, I have some notes for you. And I welcomed them and I, I kept almost everything he suggested really great, including the, I don't want to give it away because it's such a big reveal in the movie, but let's just say his daughter. Lex came up with uh, a little trick uh, for naming his daughter, you know. I don't want to give anything else away. Yeah, I'm not going to spoil it either. But originally, that daughter was not named what she was, and we changed her name, so... See, I didn't see it coming, but then it made perfect sense when it happened. It absolutely caught me off guard, just like, oh! Yeah, right. <laughs> this makes it so much worse! Oh no! <laughs> In a good way, I hope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, my character, my character is not the most, uh... He's got some moral issues at the beginning. Yeah, like, watching the film, I found a sense of humour. It actually struck me as quite British, 
because like we love just sort of being a bit like self-deprecating or just having awkward situations. Well, British humor has had a, a huge uh, influence on me over the years, starting when I was very young, watching Monty Python on public tech TV. Or it was not on a regular station. It was on the public uh, uh, channel, uh, PBS, what they call public broadcasting, like Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers. And and Friday nights at 730, they would have Monty Python and they were you know, a little titillating. And I had to like hide from my mother that I was actually watching this. And uh, I was kind of obsessed with Monty Python for a long time. Yeah, well, they make funny stuff. Like I've seen Life of Brian and Holy Grail a few times each at this point. I think Life of Brian was voted best comedy in British history. It wouldn't surprise me. But definitely as well, the best credit songs. So I don't know how awkward a question this is to ask, but- Well, we'll find out. How much of you in the film, like as a character, is a parody version of yourself. I would say 15% of it, one five, 15 is real. Everything else is fiction. Okay. But a lot of it is based on things, based on stories that happened to me at anime conventions or happened to other people. So it's dialed up to 11 for the character. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and, and here's the other thing, here's the other thing. You know, my, my character is a bit of a, a playboy you know and at the beginning you know he's he's up for anything and i personally jeff nimoy had a reputation because i'm you know i'm a bit of a flirt and what have you but i had a bit of a re reputation as that he'd get drunk at conventions he did on every girl he'd sleep all around and you know, none of it was true you know well not none of it but certainly the the worst of the worst was not even close to being true. I did actually wind up in a relationship with someone who was a, you know, a fan that became a voiceover person. And that's when we started a relationship. But unfortunately, she's no longer with us. Very sad. Sorry to hear that. Oh, thank you. But, you know, I really did not sleep around a lot at these conventions. But in the movie, my character never hesitated to sleep around the conventions. <laughs> the character of Jeff Neumar in the film is sort of a little bit of an anti-hero. <laughs> like, he starts off and he's a bit of like a, a playboy. He seems to be addicted to Xanax, which uh -huh. I, I don't even know what sort of medicine that is. It's, Sounds like an American brand, like headaches or something. Yeah, Xanax. Xanax is a tranquilizer. It's a tranquilizer. Well, it's more of a a, a mood stabilizer, tranquilizer. It, it it calms you down. Yeah. And you, if you take too many of them, you'll be a zombie. I get you. But yeah, Jeff in the film, he definitely has issues. This is the way I write it down. Right. Uh, the anti-hero thing is sort of my favorite thing. Any kind of like you know Breaking Bad or Mad Men. The, those are my favorite type of shows. The Sopranos. You know, the anti-hero is my favorite thing, and I, I think Wolfwood from Trigun in many ways is an anti-hero. Hmm. So that's sort of what I gravitate to, and that's why I made my character an anti-hero as well. And I, I don't want to spoil the moments again, but yeah, Wolfwood does come into it um, in the film. Well, it's in the poster, you know, you won't be spoiling it, but just a little teaser. I, I do wind up cosplaying as my own character, Wolfwood, which also is kind of like frowned upon from the anime voice actor community. Is it? I would have thought it'd be encouraged. If the actor is also an anime fan, perhaps, but usually it would, it seems a little too egotistical. I you're see. honoring yourself, you know, you're, you're paying homage to your own good job. You know, that's, that's how I think it is looked at a little bit, which is why in the movie, I actually say, uh, it's looked down upon. And then when I do it, I'm like, oh, I've, I've even lower than I, <laughs> than I thought I could stoop before. I'm even lower than that. It really is just like hits rock bottom and then he climbs his way back up in the second half. But yeah, I, I actually, I'm just going to tell you what I thought of the film overall. Yeah, please. I, I genuinely really enjoyed watching it. Thank you. It put a smile on my face throughout. That's great. It's like just this little drop of lighthearted fun. Right. It's a fun little movie. That's how I describe it to people. Just a fun little movie. And like, I, I looked at the like the behind the scenes article you shared and saying most of this was filmed in like six days. You're right. 80% of the movie was shot in six days and all the fan stuff were in three days during the actual live convention that we were working at. Yeah, it was really like whipped together. <laughs> well, you say it's whipped together. It took a year to plan that whipping together. You know, it had to be done. It was timed down to the minute, to the second. And sometimes, you know, we really 
had a well-oiled running machine where we had to be out of a room at two o'clock or, you know, the Naruto panel was coming in. You know, we had to get out of that room. It's honestly just really impressive that there's a film at all at the end of it. Just so much work clearly went into this. Thanks so much. And yeah, just like, I think it actually adds to the charm that it was made the way it was. Just because yeah, it brings you. it back down to earth and makes it feel just that much more genuine. It would not have the same authentic feel if we shot it in a soundstage. If we recreated an anime convention in a soundstage, it wouldn't have that same fluorescent light, you know, you know, hotel convention center type of looking room, you know. I like that the environment would just be much more sterile, but you can tell that everyone on the film's having fun when they're yeah. performing. And we used actual fans as extras too, which was great. You know, they did their own cosplay and if a costumer did it, it wouldn't have the same authenticity. Yeah, and it all just works out for a really good convention film. And especially during these times when, you know, we haven't had a convention since, you know, March here in the States. So uh, if you miss cons, it's, it's really a great film for you to just, you know, for 94 minutes to remember what it was like and just the fun of it all. Yeah, I've, I've not been to a convention in a few years. Last one I went to was in London or something, probably in 2016, maybe. So this was a little nostalgia dive into that atmosphere, mm-hmm. where at the convention, basically, instead of anime being the thing that's frowned upon and that like, you don't really share it or whatever, just like anime is that world. And yeah, it's a, just a very unique setting for a film in general. Thank you, yeah. Well, I'm glad you liked it, Steve. Yeah, I'm glad I got to watch it without having to pay as well. That was a nice bonus. <laughs> You're welcome. Don't expect, don't don't share that private link I gave you. I will not. Don't worry. <laughs> um, <laughs> for some reason, I was the first person to like that private linked video. Well, because it's private, you know. Am I right? Most people are not liking it. They know I'm the only one seeing it. But uh, Stevie, now everyone's going to try to get a podcast and invite me so they can see the movie for free. Well, isn't that what you want? It'll help promote the film more. <laughs> yeah, I'd rather, I would. You're right. I would rather have. I'd rather have two million people see it for free than two thousand people pay and see it. I've got one last question on Famish, which is: What sort of challenges arose with COVID when it came to actually releasing this film, inspired by something that basically isn't oh. happening at the moment? Well, I also, uh, I wrote a little article about that too. I don't know if you saw that in my blogs, but if you go to Jeff Nimoy blog, just, I'm not hard to find, but the movie was coming out video on demand on, let's say it's May 12th. And before that, I was looking into all these um, conventions to attend and promote. And we were going to uh, Comic-Con in San Diego and DragonCon in Atlanta and MomoCon in Atlanta, and we were talking to quite a few conventions to promote the movie, and then boom, COVID happened, and that was it. They were either online or scrapped altogether, and it just wasn't in the plans to have a, con- a uh, screening and a Q&A online, you know? So we decided to postpone or what have you, and then <clears throat> the movie comes out, and I pre-ordered it on uh, Apple TV, and uh, all of a sudden here it comes. It's on TV. I'm like, wow, my movie. Here's my face on TV. You know, <laughs> I, I just it's it's here, and I'm alone in my apartment. I've got no one to celebrate with, and I like, should I get some champagne and drink it alone? You know, <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. It was so anticlimactic. It was bittersweet for sure. Yeah. Know? So that, that was, it was just all, you know, crazy. But, you know, the good news is with a little film like this, especially where I think it will live forever or at anime conventions and Comic-Cons, because, you know, we could show this for the next 10, 20 years. And I think a film like this, it doesn't hurt it that much because as soon as we start going to conventions to promote it, it'll find a new audience, those who didn't see it on video internet. And uh, it'll just keep growing. And, you know, hopefully it'll also be on like a Netflix or an HBO or Showtime, Amazon Prime. You know what I mean? So I think a movie like this, it wasn't going to have a $50 million opening weekend anyway. It's a small film. I think it's going to still be okay once we get the conventions going again. Uh, You know, but certainly I miss that 
first initial premiere. <laughs> <laughs> However, before COVID, I got to have a, a movie premiere in a movie theater for friends and family only. Oh, and that's good. That was quite nice. And it was 300 people in a movie theater and popcorn and the whole thing, you know, it's a, it's a total popcorn movie. So we had the whole audience there. I got a standing ovation, which I'll never forget, you know, <laughs> and the Q and A afterwards was just people, you know, you could tell they genuinely loved it. They weren't just, you know, kissing my butt. You know what I mean? They were genuinely, they, they, they just liked it. It's a fun movie. It's hard yeah. not to like. I say it like this, this little fun movie, but it's about this raging alcoholic, you know? I like to, I like to uh, that's another bit of my style, talking about the anti-hero. Uh, I'm, uh, you know, I like to write about really serious subjects in a really commercial way, you know? So like, like the movie Arthur, featuring Britain's Dudley Moore and John Gilgood. Do you remember this movie at all? Ah, oh, I don't think I've seen it. It's about a millionaire alcoholic it was like 1982, way before you were born. But it's just the fun, one of the funniest movies of all time. But it's about this really serious subject. And, you know, same with me, you know, in this movie, it's, I don't know if it's the funniest movie of all time, but it's, it's just this really serious subject told in a really funny way. And uh, that was a big inspiration for me, that movie, Arthur. Yeah, like I like to approach anything creative, like writing, things like that, in a similar sort of way. Mm -hmm. Taking like often quite heavy or dark subjects. Yeah, dark, right, exactly. But just like reframing them so it's a bit more lighthearted and just less, I guess, taxing to think about. And um, so you don't come out of it thinking like, oh, well, that was miserable. Like, it's more fun to have sort of a happy song singing about like, don't kill yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, like I'm, I'm on the same wavelength there, it's definitely... Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a funny movie, but it deals with very serious issues, you know? Yeah, and, uh, depressions in there, drug addiction... Yeah, and, you'll, and hopefully you'll cry a little bit watching it too, exactly, right. I try to tug on the heartstrings a little bit. Yeah, it, it definitely got me in places, but a lot of things make me cry at the moment. <laughs> so, famous. What's it on? Is it on Vimeo? I don't know what else is available on, but... It's on everywhere. It's like, if you just go to famousmovie.com or jeffnemoy.com you know it will it will show you everywhere it's uh it's on almost every video on demand platform including playstation even playstation yeah wherever you watch movies it's got a worldwide distribution it's on amazon england you know it's there uk rather itunes apple tv amazon prime uh youtube google play playstation Fandango, Vimeo, On Demand, Microsoft, AT&T, it's everywhere. It's better distributed than Digimon Last Evolution Kazuna. <laughs> I have a better distributor, sorry. I'm pretty certain Kazuna's already out in America, but over here in the UK, it's just like, still waiting. Check out Famish in, in the meantime. And it's also starring Brian Donovan, who was Davis in O2. It took me a while to piece together that that was him. Yeah, well, here I had him say, Digi Armor Energize! And then I got it. I think I got Brian Donovan's name mixed up with, is it Brian Beacock? Brian Beacock, yeah. He yeah, in, who uh, is Takato, I think. Well, that's a, that's a season I did not work on, yeah. But... Yeah, it's, I think he did other Digimon characters beforehand, maybe. I, I directed him in uh, Digimon Data Squad as Agumon. Different Agumon. The one with the wrist straps. Yes. Because it's cooler. That's how it works. Like, if you've got wrist straps, you're just naturally cooler. And exactly. Then just bog standard dinosaur. I'm wearing them now. Well, yeah, like, who isn't? <laughs> if you're not wearing wrist straps, you need to get on it. Okay, you're missing out on the latest trend. Steve, Stevie, Stevie, we are going to start a trend, you and I. What do you mean start? It's been going for years, hasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> At Comic-Con, yes. So, I am running out of questions, unfortunately. Uh-oh. Well... I'm running out of patience. It's the perfect time. Natural response <laughs> being with me for more than like five minutes. <laughs> I'm just a kidder. This is very enjoyable. I love going down memory lane. Yeah, I've really enjoyed this so far. Still time for it to go horribly wrong, but we'll try not to do that. <laughs> well, I appreciate you watching Famish. I'll tell you, it's uh, it's the, the biggest passion project of my life. And I really did not start off doing it to even get seen. I did it because I was very sick. At one point in my life, in 2017, doctors found a brain tumor. And uh, luckily, I had very successful surgery. And, but I almost died. 
And uh, with the new lease on life, I decided I'm not going to wait anymore for permission to make a movie. Because in Hollywood, you have to, you know, get financing. You have to attach people. It, it could take a long time to make a movie. And I've worked on projects for five years that never even happened because you couldn't get the right, you know, combinations of network, studio, directors, producers, actors involved. I just decided I'm not waiting anymore. So I thought, what movie can I make for the lowest amount of money? What are my assets? And I said, well, my celebrity is a major asset. So I wrote a movie about a washed up voice director who goes to an anime convention for the money. And I cast other anime actors in it. And we all attended the convention. We went as a package to the convention as programming for the convention of, hey, be in a movie. <laughs> but my pitch to all the people involved, like Lex Lang and Brian Donovan, Jonathan Fawn, and all the crew and cast, and my pitch to them was the same. I'm tired of asking for permission to make a movie. And if you're tired too, join me. Now, I have no money. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if anyone will ever see this movie. And I can't even guarantee you it'll be good. All I can tell you is I'm tired of asking for permission. And Lex Lang was the first to say yes. And a few people turned me down, by the way, before I approached Lex about different things, not his role in particular, but Lex said yes. And I said, I started crying. I said, Lex, you're the, you're the first person to say yes. He said, don't worry. The right people will say yes. And sure enough, it happened. Lex is a bit of a magical person, I have to tell you. He's a, a certified meditation teacher. And wow. uh, he studied with the greatest of them all. And he, uh, he just has insight to the universe. I can't explain it any other way. But he's a supernatural person and super talented as well. And he said the right people showed up. And I just knew when Lex said yes, I just knew it would all come together. I just knew it. And I, you know, went full steam ahead. And when it was over, luckily, it was good. And luckily, people have seen it. And luckily, they liked it so much, and then the right people saw it because it got an international distribution deal. And we launched May 12th, and it's doing very well on pay-per-view and among other categories, too, like romantic comedies even that have nothing to do with anime. It's just a miracle that this movie came out as good as it did and is getting the audience it's getting. And hopefully we'll continue to get for many, many years. Yeah, well, it was definitely a passion project. And when the person leading it is driven by passion, everyone else that comes on board will just like take that little bit of passion on themselves. I think you're right. Jonathan Fawn calls it sharing the madness. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your madness with us. You constantly hear little stories like that, like Star Trek and actual give a speech and then everyone else be like, oh, okay, so I can pull a little <laughs> bit extra in. Yeah. And I just recently saw the uh, making of the Star Wars, Star Wars trilogy uh, documentary and uh, George Lucas said, you know, a lot of directing is bending people to your will, not in an evil way, like using <laughs> the dark force, but your currency is your story, your passion. And you say, this is what I'm doing and I want you to do it with me. And it, it'll either resonate with them or it won't. Like for instance, the cinematographer, the uh, director of photography, the reason he gave me was because, you know, I'm playing a fictional character named Jeff Nimoy. I'm not Jeff Nimoy in the movie, as are the other actors. They're not really Brian Donovan. It's like, you know, Larry David in Curb Your Enthusiasm or the, the Trip movies in Britain. They're not really those people in real life. So Steve Coogan's not really Steve Coogan in those movies. He's playing a character based on Steve Coogan, you know, that's, again, you know, you heighten the heights and you lower the lows. So I'm playing this character and the cinematographer was a big anime fan. He said, but just to be sure, you did direct Naruto, right? You <laughs> did do the voices of Tentomon, right? You were the showrunner on Digimon. I said, yeah, he goes, yeah, that's why I want to do this movie because it's, you're, it's like, it's like a, a weird combination of fiction and reality. Like there's just enough of the actual Jeff Nimoy in there to, to sort of add credibility to the rest of the character and the story. Well, what resonated with him was I wasn't saying my name is Bob Cooper and I directed a show called Boo Boo Baba. I'm guessing there is an anime called Boo Boo Baba. It's like Bo 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 Which I wrote. Yeah. Anyway, uh, if I said that, he wouldn't have been as interested, you know? But the fact that we were 
using reality in a way to further the story, he he liked that very much, you know, and that's why he joined. And 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 to tell you the truth, the reason I also called myself Jeff Nimoy and Brian Brian Donovan and Lex Lex Lang as Lex Lang because we were at a live convention and there was a very good chance someone might run up in the middle of a scene and ask for an autograph. And I didn't want to be Bob Cooper when someone said, Mr. Nimoy, sign this. And also there were signs everywhere, you know, and there was the program everywhere. And I, I didn't want to accidentally get a shot of Jeff Nimoy when I'm playing Bob Cooper. So I, uh, I just said, let's just pull a Larry David. Let's just play, pull a Steve Coogan and do it. But of course, now everyone comes up to me. Did you really have those problems? Did you really do that on the soundboard? But did you really do that on the soundboard? I really did not. <laughs> That's good to hear. I mean, they brought you back in for for Data Squad, so yeah. But but figuratively, <laughs> I might have done that to a producer, and I did not work for them for a very long time. So I changed that story to something else. It's a very funny film. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Just a couple of final things, then I guess. So. I asked Laura when she was on to say, Patamon says, thank you for listening to the Moncast, bye-bye. So I think it's only fair I ask Tentamon to say something like that as well. I have a bit of variety at the end of the episodes. <laughs> so, I'll give you your line in the, the Zoom chat. Okay. It's an easy line, hopefully. You're writing for me now. I usually write for the Digimon cast. You're writing for the Digimon cast now. Yeah, I'm writing for a Digimon voice actor. How cool is that? <laughs> Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. <clears throat> me, 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 me. No vocal warm-up, hold on. <laughs> Hello, this is Tentamon. Thank you for listening to the Moncast. Bye-bye. Yeah, first take. One take Nimoy, that's what I call me. <laughs> Do they actually call you that? No, I call me that because I don't have the patience. Because <laughs> you're directing yourself. Uh, they do call me one take Nemo. Not not because I'm I do it one take, because I usually take the first take from the actor when I'm directing. Ah, that's interesting. When you were voice acting Tantamon and you were also directing, did you direct yourself or did you have someone else to do it? I did it, always. You must be super used to listening to your own voice anyway. Well you know when I'm when I'm writing it too, I'm you know, I'm writing the thing and to make sure the the line I wrote fits in the character's mouth. I usually impersonate that character or do my own voice. So I know it's going to fit and I know the way I want to hear it. So if I'm directing it, I've done it millions of times at that point. Not millions, but quite a bit, you know. So uh, I, I'm very fast when I direct myself. Also, I don't talk back to myself, so it's very good. But I'm also not uh, just slap down anything, of course. If I'm not satisfied with myself, I give myself another take. So did the voices of Tentamon and then the Digivolutions all come at the same time for you? Or did you like make them up as each character, I guess, appeared? As each character came, we did a new voice for it. and uh, But we didn't have them all three. Uh, again, on Data Squad, I did. So at that point, I did show them all. But first it was uh, Tentamon, of course, for me. Josh Seth played uh, his smaller version, I can't remember. Uh, Motimon, yeah. Yeah, Motimon. Wait, so Ty is Motimon? Right. <laughs> yeah, okay. And and Ty was the original Tentomon as well. But the whole show started sounding like Josh. So they said, we're going to have to take some roles away from you. So I started playing Tentomon in his first big episode, whatever that was, I can't remember. Yeah, it would have been episode five, I think. It's, I think that's the same one Kobutarimon appears. His first big episode where it's focused on Tentomon a bit more. So when Tentomon, when I did Kabuterimon, rather, for the first time, I just did sort of a generic monster voice, not knowing he was going to go get even bigger. So I went, Tentomon, take you fall to Kabuterimon. And then next is Kabuterimon, did you evolve to? I can't go any bigger than this. You know, I just had nothing left. So I, uh, I just said, well, let me sort of do a whispery thing that could still be intimidating, like Clint Eastwood, you know, <laughs> you know, Mega Kabuterimon. And then for Hercules Kabuterimon and Try, I'm like, I've got literally nowhere to go now. So, but because his name was Hercules, I'm like, well, why not just make him like ancient heroic Greek sounding, you know, Hercules Kabuterimon, you know, and that, that's easy on my voice, much easier than the uh, monsters before. Hercules Kabuterimon sounds just like a dramatic version of Kabuterimon. <laughs> I hate when he has dialogue. That's the worst. What, Hercules Kabuterimon in particular? No, Meg when Mega Kabuterimon has... 
I can't talk like this for long. You know, that's the raspiness in the voice. Yeah, like, that's a tough one. Hercules, I can talk all day. That's an easy one for me. I don't know if you've seen My Hero Academia, but that reminds me of All Might, who's like the big, bold superhero. Uh-huh. But yeah, I'm, I'm generally out of questions now. So, <laughs> um, Jeff, what would you like to, to plug? Plug your stuff. Well, Famish is really the only thing I'm plugging right now. Uh, and uh, it's available, like I said, on all video and demand platforms. And I hope uh, they see it. And I really would love to visit England one day or any part of the Great Britain, really, especially to do an anime convention and maybe a premiere, you know, the European premiere of Famish. That would be great once this uh, pandemic is over. So uh, hopefully I'll be there. And if, uh, if anyone has any ins, at these conventions, uh, please uh, put in a good word for me. I don't have that contact yet, I'm afraid. <laughs> but if it gets set up, I'll definitely be there if I can be there. It has been fantastic talking to you for the past hour, however long it's been. Thanks, Stevie. It doesn't feel like it. <laughs> Great. Honestly, just thank you so much for, for coming on and talking to me about Digimon. You're welcome. And I'm um, really glad Digimon's still alive after all these years. It still has a life and new fans constantly, so it makes me feel really good that it has an afterlife. Am I allowed to get soppy for a minute? Sure, sure, go for it. So Digimon is, is basically responsible for like most of my online friends. Mm-hmm. Um, responsible for me getting into podcasting like almost five years ago now. Mm-hmm. And that basically led in, me into my career now in radio. That's awesome. So yeah, like Digimon basically has been the basis for a lot of my friendships and even my career now. So most of my skills have come from working on just being passionate about Digimon. And yeah, you were basically instrumental in bringing that over to England um, and America and just English audiences in general. So yeah, thank you so much for being such a big part of the thing that I, I care about so much. Thank you so much for that. That makes me feel great. You know, that that's the best part of my life these days is... Uh the influence maybe on younger people and you know you're the future you're the future of everything the world and entertainment and everything and the older i get the more i understand it's about inclusion these anime conventions inspire me so much because i see these kids that maybe don't have friends outside of this you know but they're they're walking gods you know what i mean and they just get to do what everyone else does and include everyone in as much as possible. Everyone deserves to be a part of this human experience. No one should be excluded from anything. So I'm really glad you've got friends that all came from Digimon and soon you're going to have a career that gave you the confidence from Digimon. And I'm just so glad that myself and everyone else associated with the show can uh, can influence future generations and i hope it keeps going absolutely let's hope 20 like colon 2020 gets a dub and maybe they'll bring you back in on it that would be another chapter of my life a great a great third act digimon for the third time <laughs> <laughs> all right stevie thanks again take care thanks so much jeff everyone thank you for listening bye-bye Thank you for listening to the Moncast. Bye-bye.